Hey there, folks. Before we start today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, I'd just like to remind you guys that you can check out my daily sports column. It's free by going to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. You can just check out my Twitter to find the link there. Go check out chasethomaspodcast.com. There's a link on that page. Uh, But yeah, go check it out every day. New sports story in your email inbox. Uh, Yeah, go tell a friend, share it out, send it to anyone else you think would uh, like the newsletter. But yes, every single day, go to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Just Google Sports Renaissance Man, Chase Thomas, whatever you're most comfortable with, go do that. Uh, If you are an Apple Podcast listener, don't forget to leave this show a five-star rating and review. Uh, It's important uh, to help the show continue to grow. And last thing, uh, very quickly, but uh, please email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com to... Uh, get your mailbag question in or any other questions that you might have about the show, about the column, anything like that. Uh, new mailbag columns go up every Friday. Uh, if you have any questions for the weekly shows that you would like us to answer on air, whether it's John Taylor on Wednesdays, Evan Swords on Mondays, the sports reporters on Fridays, uh, make sure to get those questions in and we'll read them on the show or I'll answer your questions in the mailbag on the newsletter. So go do that. Uh, again, that's Chase Thomas podcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave the show a five-star rating and review. Follow on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, I think that's it. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello and welcome back to a Tuesday edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas and I am joined... By fellow Blue Wireian, Mike Prada of Limited Upside, formerly of SB Nation. Mike, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good afternoon. Uh, it'd be kind of weird if someone guest hosted your podcast, wouldn't it? Um, hmm. I don't know. I've like, kind of like romanticized that idea. I thought I considered it uh, when I went on vacation uh, a month ago of just like having my normal crew because I have a lot of. Uh, recurring guests like Evan Sowards of 49ers Hub is on every Monday, like sports reporters with Bob Silverman and Andrew Hammond on Fridays and Matt Green on Thursdays. I actually had John Taylor fan graphs on Tuesdays. Like I, I have a pretty stable group of group of cast members. So I think I could have handed the reins off or just like given yeah, it some. But then, inter- mm-hmm. but then what would they say? Welcome to the Chase Thomas podcast. I'm not Chase Thomas. Sorry guys. Yeah. Would immediately. Yeah. That would be kind of weird. I don't know. Are you, so you're it's not a one, this it's one. one occupational. It's the one occupational hazard of having your name as your podcast. No, I think it's awesome because then you can have people that have to weirdly say, "I'm not Chase Thomas." Like, go full well mm. with it. So from, I see. From like an egotistical perspective, it works out well. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, the two sides of the same coin, I suppose. Yeah, we're we're wired differently, clearly, because your name is nowhere to be found in Limited Upside. Technically, it's on the logo, but that wasn't my choice. Mm. How do you feel about alliteration with the Prada's pictures? Was that your idea? Yeah, I honestly, it, it's it. I came up with it like maybe 10, 11, 12 years ago. So I honestly don't remember how I came up with it. Mm. But I think, it, you know, back then, like when we were, I was first starting to write this way, I think there was less use of, of gifts. It was literally more pictures, still images. You know, this was like when, Sebastian Pruitty, who now works for the Thunder, like he and I were some of the first folks who were really writing with screenshots. And then it really was just pictures. Now it's like kind of moving pictures a little bit more. 
but that's one reason why, I mean, to the rare degree that I do write, it's not like kind of post, you don't see like videos posted. It's always a clip of a, a GIF or it's a still image because it, it's, I got to stick to the name, man. At least GIFs are moving pictures. Well, you know what's interesting about that is you write in a very different way, and I think this is becoming more common. Like, Nikias Duncan of Basketball News writes in a similar fashion where it's more film study than it is writing, and there is... Obviously... Oh, I, 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 it's so funny you say that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't love that. I like to think of it as that all the those images need to be complementary. Like, if you took them all out of the story, it should still read right. You know, yeah. Um, I I think sometimes it it doesn't always sometimes you want to lead into it, but I do think that sometimes like a lot of writers understandably writing in this way, and I I don't think Nikias does this either for for the record. Like I don't want to like kind of make this sound like I love Nikias's work. He's he's really good at this too, but you know you you still need to ground what you're writing in something that is cogent and a point that you have to make through a writing argument. You know you've got to show rather than tell. You know, you've got to lead into it a way to kind of bring the horse to water, you know, so they can they can drink it. You know, the images and videos are just enhancers. And I think sometimes people run into trouble when you start with the videos and then just sort of write text around it. Then I'm just like, well, why don't you just record a video, you know, or yeah. do some other form of storytelling? Um, you know, because the way I look at it, like I was tra- I, I was trained as a writer, you know, I've been writing and editing like I wasn't necessarily trained as like a video expert or a technically video expert or audio video so like to me it's just sort of a supplement it's just another way that you can sort of see what I'm seeing it's another way to show rather than tell um so it is it is film study but it's also to me just like kind of writing and just these are supplements you know just as a a picture uh ap style picture would be or just as an infographic would be you know to me that's just all that it really is so how would you recommend it or like people who are in college right now thinking about evolving their writing and using pictures using uh gifts like how how would you uh how would you describe what you did early on and how you got comfortable with it and what they should look at right first uh and try to make sure it makes sense before you put anything in hmm. uh, the way I often write is, I mean, I usually like sort of do all the writing first and leave gaps where I might want to uh, put a picture. You know, it's interesting writing this book, you know, it's a totally different experience because there are not really any graphics in the middle, although there will be some, it's certainly, you can't just take like a still image and like go into, I use snag it or Photoshop and just doodle some goofy speech, speech bubble on uh, a person you, on a play, on a screenshot on a player. You can't really do that in a book, right? It's a little bit of a different thing, but it's actually good practice because I usually just write the thing first, leave the blanks and then go back and add the clips because that way I have to make sure that what I'm actually writing is like sort of fits together and stitches together. And I'm not letting the pictures do my work for me. You know, they're the supplements. So that would be my number one advice is that think of them less as like sort of you're not you're writing a story still. You're writing a there, you know, writing a narrative. You can use them in reporting. You can use them in analysis. You can use them in all sorts of things. You're just writing a story using words. The words are the most important thing. If you don't have good words that lead into the images and nobody's going to give a shit about the images, it takes some time to actually click on a GIF or to watch a video or to, you know, 
look at a picture, like don't assume that your reader is going to want to do that. You have to lead them to the water. So that, that would be my advice. Like just, just start writing, write, make sure what you write makes sense. If you just took them all out. Interesting. I hadn't considered that. That that's interesting. Um, so we're going to talk some actual basketball on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Week. Um, okay. people are changing their tune very quickly. It's just the reactionary nature of just, uh, the sports climate now of just like okay they won this so now the series is doing this um and that's sort of how it's built that's like how that's why you have series they they build on each other the only difference now is that it's online yeah before, I guess that's it's all it overreacting on sports talk radio i mean it's not even sports talk radio it's uh permeated into podcasts where I, i'll see this like the uh, reaction to blank and i'm just like eh, like immediate reaction or emergency pods are like my doomsday situation where i'm like no thanks like i'll immediately, i'll immediately marcus played not uh, not diving in okay. I, I, no interest it's it is a little different sort of to hear them after the fact but you know we had post there are always post game shows yeah i never <laughs> like, watched so them. there was always this sort of thing plus like if you just think about it from like a listener mm. engagement you know people like sometimes i like to think about it. i know this is getting a little philosophical and maybe not necessarily what you're no <laughs> what you're waiting for for this I'm, but like I can see my... when you watch a tv show right mm-hmm. like, i don't know what's your favorite tv show all time or right now right now Right now, Ooh. see, like I like Ted Lasso just as okay. an example. I mean, I know it's like like Ted Lasso is something that my wife and I watch, and we're excited for it to come back in about a week. Uh, but I know that like as soon as I finish watching a Ted Lasso episode, like I want to think about it and talk about it and try to process what I saw, right? Like I want to. That's when the moment it, that I want to do that is, you know, because that the next day. I'm moved on to other parts of my life. Oh, like, we're, less- we're opposite. Like I, I wait till the next day. So like when I watch stuff and I'm writing about something, I wait until I sleep on it. Like I get, map out all my notes and then I wake up the well, next yeah, day from, and then I start a, writing. Yeah. I'm saying from a consumer perspective, from mm. a creator's perspective, I totally understand that. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it allows you to sort of, I mean, the idea of sleeping on it is like scientifically proven to be a effective method for, actually understanding something or for information retention like that has been very proven or decision making i'm just saying as a consumer i want to talk about that thing right now like the next day like man i've already moved on like i'm uh, hmm. and i think for most consumers basketball is their version of a tv show yeah I think they watch it then. TV shows like that's how they most fans are yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean this takes me back to the preview we did for SB Nation three or four years ago with the Netflix TV show mom theme. But it was like very much this, this was the type of conversations we were having during that pre planning. So I never watched Banshee until this summer and I I can't get enough of Banshee. Did you ever watch that? Yeah. Now, but then again, now think about it though. Mm. You don't want to, you want, when you, when do you want to talk or listen to other people talking about Banshee? Hmm. When do you want to do that? You don't want to do that like, oh, let me sleep on it. And then like in my morning commute, I'll rethink about Banshee before I go into the office and have to pick my work all the time. No, you want to talk about it right then. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. I want to read about it. So I will read recaps. I'll read reviews. Yeah. Whatever. Engage with the product. Yeah. That's true. And so I think that that's why you have, from a creator's perspective, it's different. But um, That's true. I, I have a different lens of... Yeah, uh, viewing everything. Yeah, I mean, 
right. If you want what you're saying to be like 100% right, you know, then yeah, it's better to sleep on it or whatever. But if you want to just, if you think of it more as like an experience you're sharing with people and you're sort of reacting in real time, then you would obviously react after the fact. Like that's when you're emotionally high off of what you just saw. Um, do you, do you take notes on all the sporting Uh, events you watch? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every so often I'll tweet out, uh, my Frankenstein notes. I have Mm. the worst handwriting. Oh, mine's pretty fucking awful too. Yeah. If you look at like last during, do you remember that like kind of 70 pass sequence at the end of game two Mm -hmm. or the half of game two? Like I tweeted a picture, like here are my notes for that 70 (laughs) pass sequence and they take up an entire page and they're, you know, totally incomprehensible so yeah i mean every so often i i actually have um in this office i've got like notes from back going back to the games in 2015 i've got like a oh i probably a great do too of old, yeah. notebooks, of old notebooks somewhere around so yeah no i mean uh, it is important uh information retention absolutely do you go back through right after the game or the next morning like how do you how do you go back through your notes honestly right now i'm not going back through them very much but if I were writing more often, yeah, I would definitely go back to them more. Now, again, I'm just not writing as much right now. I'm think, focusing more on bigger projects. But, yeah, I mean, if you know, for me, though, I think the, the real value is often less the, like, rete- like going back to it and more just, like, it forces me to pay attention. Yes. Uh, in a different way. Uh, it, it just sort of keeps me focused. It's like a way of sort of keeping me engaged. Uh, so that that's really what it's – and a way to keep me off Twitter, which is a good way to oh, phones keep in the my other room brain all the time. Like you'll, it's amazing how much you'll miss if you have your phone anywhere near you watching a game. Like it's just impossible. Like I'm just like you, where I've tried to be a normal sports fan and like watch a game without my notepad or anything. Like I, I can't do it. Like I'll get up or I'll do something else. I'll look for my phone or I, I will retain so much less from a game if I do not have my notes on me like if i'm not taking notes like i'm just not i cannot actually do it it i don't know what that means for us uh going forward mike but uh i'm a little concerned well i mean sometimes you watch sports for, this is a challenge you, you got into this because you like the experience of watching sports mm. now you're in it and you're trying to do it as well as well as you can you know Sometimes it's nice to be a fan. Uh, you sort of get it. And frankly, like if you're taking this conversation full circle to uh, um, what we were talking about earlier, like sometimes it's really important to like kind of remember what the experience of a fan is like, because ultimately a fan like in that way, because ultimately those are the people that are reading you. Yeah, that's so if you understand, you have to remember like kind of how they think. I think this is what happens to a lot of people in the field is they just forget about that that it's, it's hard to turn off your analytical brain and turn on your fan brain that's why i'm still a wizards fan even though you know through all of this and i make it a special effort to still watch all their games like i'm a fan because to me it's like important to keep in touch with that sort of side oh, of agree. what it's like yeah. to experience sports because that's what how people are experiencing with me i mean i have to make sure that like i'm speaking on their level even especially when talking about things that are perhaps stuff that they're not seeing right away because they're not really looking for it i agree i agree i think it's important it's also kind of sad to me when i listen to different uh smart sports people like oh yeah i don't have any emotional attachment and i just i moved on from all of it and i said i'm like oh man i don't know that i I think i just i think i would just leave sports 
I see how it happens. I mean, it it can be draining for your um, mental health in a lot of ways to have your hobby be your profession. True. You don't get separation, so I get it. Like sometimes I wish I could do that, but I know. think that's the difference between like being a reporter or being a blogger, right? Like being a blogger, you can still do that. Like that's the foundation Suppose. of SB Nation is you can balance those two things. But if you're yeah. in the locker room <laughs> and you're getting to know these people and you're covering and breaking news, like it's just it's almost impossible it's to. Yeah, it's definitely a lot harder for sure. Um, which naturally leads us, Mike to the biggest difference you saw Praetis pictures on his notepads between game two and game three between the Suns and the Bucks was what? Uh, which end? Ooh, let's see. Mm, for the Bucks. I think the Bucks is... No, I meant like, like offense or defense. Oh, I would say... Let's say defense. The Bucks defense? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, the number one, the number one thing was with the bucks and it's actually dovetails really well with the video i just tweeted out uh right before we started which i'm sure you didn't see because it literally went up the second after (laughs) we started talking um devin booker had a really rough game and one of the reasons for that and i've mentioned this a, a number of times with devin booker and i think with the sun's offense as a whole is you have to sort of disrupt their rhythm early you have to kind of throw off they do so much great stuff to kind of confuse you when they're in control and then they're so good at once they kind of create a numbers advantage with their pick and roll taking advantage and finding the right player and maximizing that with their movement their spacing their decision making is just top notch but if you throw them off at the beginning and you make them play with a little less time on the shot clock you know you pressure them full court you hit them first off the ball you kind of make it more of a grind they a lot of the great things that they do require time and require you know patience to be able to execute and you take a lot of that away if you're pressuring them early and then backing off so in game two the suns or the bucks switched the matchups they had drew holiday guarding chris paul that holiday playing paul full court but they didn't really pressure the bucks or pressure the suns with the other guys in the same way so Paul was able to do his thing and they, they set these really high ball screens and he get downhill and they didn't really do enough to sort of kill the pace of the game for the Suns with the other players. In game three, it wasn't just Paul that was being pressured. They would full court pressure whoever brought the ball up. Uh, not necessarily like kind of with you know a trap, but they would sort of be picking them up 94 feet. You know, they picked up Booker 94 feet, picked up Paul 94 feet, picked up Campaign 94 feet, picked up all the other guys, and then they'd back off after the fact. And the Suns just went... They had trouble getting the ball into their offense quickly enough. You know, what was once three seconds, four seconds into their play was now eight, seven or eight seconds. And that takes away a lot of those other options. And many of those options are Devin Booker coming off screens pin downs dribble handoffs all that stuff that he does to then catch the ball and attack you have less time to execute your half court offense you have less time to go through all that stuff to get him the ball and he really struggled to find his rhythm and that was i think a huge factor um so that's i think to me if i'm the suns I, I need to figure out a way to kind of maintain my pace amid this pressure without going away from running all the cool stuff that we run that tilted the Bucks in games one and two. Do you think 
they'll adjust in that way? Do you think that this is something that they can overcome, or do you think the Bucks have figured some stuff out here now? I think they can adjust, yes. Um, whether they will, I'm not sure. I mean, it, both of these things can be true. I think this is something the Bucks figured out. If you look at the Clippers series, just as a, an example, particularly with Booker, you know, the, the Clippers figured out Booker for the most part with Patrick Beverly's defense. Uh, he really got that sort of movement cadence down where he was hitting early, backing off, and Booker really didn't have a great series. The Suns still won, though, because they were able to get enough kind of pace in that game six, particularly in the second half, you know, getting guys running up the wings, doing a little like a little bit of chipping of these guards before they kind of got through, just made it a little bit easier. And Paul was in control and they were able to make that work. I think they can do that again against this Bucks team. You know, one thing I look for is because of the way the Bucks were pressuring a lot of the early stuff that the Suns were running was Paul and Aiton and Booker was kind of out of the game. And then in the first quarter, he takes like four threes all of a sudden. I think he never really got under rhythm. I'd expect some of these early plays for Booker. I'd, I'd expect maybe Paul to be used as sort of a screener to give Booker a little bit more extra room to widen those pin downs. And then I think the Suns, you know, it will be a struggle. I don't know if they're going to necessarily have it all figured out by game four. But I do think that eventually, yes, they will be able to open the game up a little bit more again interesting do you what, what did you have before the series in terms of what it would go and who would win and what do you have now it hasn't changed i think i uh i don't remember what the if i ever like a submit an official prediction i don't love to do it not because i don't want to be wrong i don't give a shit if i'm wrong <laughs> but like I find sometimes that when I actually put something that like that down, everything I see starts to get anchored to that mm, number yeah. instead of me learning something. Yeah. Um, so I thought that the Suns would be were moderate favorites, slight to moderate favorites in this series, and I still think the Suns will win the series in slight to moderate way. Uh, I thought there would be wild swings in terms of the point or the the. Gaps, uh, what am I trying to say? Jesus Christ. The uh, margins of victory I thought would be kind of swing pretty wildly because both these teams are great in transition, very good defensively, but also kind of if you can disrupt what they do on offense, they get stagnant, they get a little bit like kind of grinding in the mud. We know the Bucks do that. It's a lot more obvious. I think we the Suns are less obviously able to, that happens to them, but you saw it in game three. And you know, start, stop, start, stop, run, finish like that. Uh, what am I saying? Start, stop, score, stop, score, stop, score, finish. Like that's that's a quick run right there. And so you get a few of those and you get a lot of like those 16 to 0 runs like the Bucks had at the end of the first half in the third quarter in game three. So, yeah, I thought there would be wild swings where the, the series would be more competitive in games than the margins of victory in each game. And that's kind of how it's played out so far. So I'm not totally surprised by a whole lot that I've seen yet. I'm really curious to see how game four goes. I think that's really the turning point. So Giannis hasn't really, hasn't really surprised you at all in game two and game three with what he's, what he's thrown out there. He's been, he's certainly been impressive and better than I thought. I think the the surprise is mostly just because I didn't know if he was healthy enough to do Mm -hmm. this. Um, but the Suns have struggled against these like kind of athletic battering bigs. 
when Anthony Davis was healthy, they they struggled to contain him. You know, they might have won that series anyway if he if Anthony Davis doesn't get hurt. But it's unquestionably true that that series changed on Anthony Davis's injury. You know, and I know the Suns, Paul was also injured and blah, blah, blah. But that was a huge loss because Davis and the Lakers and some of these guys that are bigger and can really play physically. The Suns really want to kind of get under you and play and play like kind of like a bunch of middle linebackers. They play really physically without fouling. That's what they used to say about the Rockets. Uh, I think Steve Kerr said that about the Rockets back in the day. Do you remember he used to call them a bunch of middle linebackers because they weren't tall, but they were just so wide. Yeah. And they had they were great at getting at leverage. Mm-hmm. The Suns have kind of applied that, not just on post-ups, but they are like that on like kind of one-on-one drives and pick and roll coverage. Yeah. So if you have a guy, but if you have a guy that like kind of can grind and is bigger, in that way, like he's it, that's sort of a checkmate matchup. And I thought Giannis might potentially turn into that for this series. I thought he'd have some moments like you know where he would really be dominant. Uh, he's been better than I expected, um, but I'm not surprised that they've had trouble with him. No. Um, yeah. I I don't know what to think. We're going to learn a lot in Game 4, I think. Game 4, I think, is a pivotal game for the Bucks to see if this game can go – the series can go 7. Um, it always is. It always is. You know, it, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I'm, like, the kind of I told you so guy, but, mm. like uh, – These are – I don't – there hasn't been very much – if you've watched – these are two flawed teams, you know, the two teams are kind of flawed in the same way, but in different forms, you know? And so I like the bucks offense, like everybody criticizes it for how rote it is and how rudimentary it can seem, you know, it's a, it's an offense that has a lot of interior power and one-on-one scoring, but not a lot of playmaking. The Suns are kind of the inverse. They're like, a, they've got all sorts of playmaking, but if, and, and, great motion but like they can be slowed down because they only have a couple entry points into their offense so it's two flawed teams and you've seen the 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 good and bad of that so far in this series so i mean game four was pivotal in the clipper series and you know that that game four was this weird 80 84 80 game that was definitely not in tune with how either team had played up to that point so i wonder if game four is going to be like that in the nba finals I'm excited to to find out. Um, your Wizards still have not hired a new basketball coach. Who do you think they're going to hire? Is it Unseld? Are you nervous about how long this is taking? Like, what? Where are you at right now with uh, the Wizards? Can I? Uh, my honest thought on this mm. is I really don't know how to evaluate assistant coaches that are getting the job for the first time. Yeah. You know, like I, I have no idea how Jamal Mosley in Orlando is going to fare. You know, Ooh, can, slide... I get a, can I can I say something about that? Yeah, I wrote about it the, yesterday with the Clifford stuff and everything. Probably not good. The Magic most like bad track record there. Probably not. Yeah, great. but but I'll have to check it out. But I imagine you're saying not great because of not because of him and his qualifications, but because of the franchise and well, it's their a history. combination of the franchise, what they're doing, the gutting situation. We can look at Brett Brown. We can look at what Steven Silas is doing in Houston now. Like I forget, like you go through it and what Lloyd Pierce was dealing with early on in Atlanta, where the front office has the cachet to to see a rebuild through. 
Head coaches, generally speaking, do not. And the magic okay. by moving I on from everybody, on like that. he's probably getting fired because they're, he's going to need five years to fix this. And it's just they have nobody over the age of thirty on this roster. Like their veterans are Terrence Ross now and like Gary Harris. This is right. going to be only lottery players in this rotation. They're going to be awful. Like they are going to be awful for a while. Right. And I just don't now, think coaches can make it through that. I just don't. Right. That that's all right. Like, I agree with all that. How much of what you just said has anything to do with Jamal Mosley's own qualifications? Yeah, and I guess that's my whole thing. It's like it has nothing to do with him. It's just more of like we right. we get all excited and like, oh, it's player development. And I'm like, he's not going to make it through. Like, they're just they're not going to surround him with enough right. veterans the to make it through. The truth is you don't really know. Yeah. You know, I mean, even like evaluating like sort of the where does a coach's job end and like a head coach's job that's already ex- – been around you know and where does where do you assign credit there like it's kind of a job that's designed so that you either you shouldn't be have a one-to-one relationship with how you assign credit i mean mm-hmm. look at monty williams yeah you know this is a guy that in some stops he has been one type of coach and he's had a few life experiences and a few different uh things that have happened at the right time and he's got this right mix that he's el- done so well to elevate more than the sum of its parts. But, like, it's hard to predict all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's even harder for assistant coaches where you have no record of them being the head guy. You just kind of know them, you know, as an assistant. So I'm obviously encouraged that the Wizards are not hiring or maybe they don't seem to be hiring someone who, you know, has kind of been around a slightly uninspiring hire. But I don't – I can't really tell you But sometimes it's the good ones. Monty Williams, so, like, like sometimes, like Frank Vogel just won a title. Like sometimes the uninspiring is the what, like the last three Super Bowl coaching I mean, wins have been guys over the age of sixty retreads. Like I mean, Bill Belichick is one of those, but like I don't think Bruce Arians was the sexiest hire in Tampa Bay at the time. And you look at it, and they're beating the young guys like Kyle Shannon, McVay, and I don't know. I think there is something to be said about the 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 non sexy hires. Yeah, but I don't even know like what's a sexy hire, what's a non-sexy hire. Like, I think Jamal Mosley have... being like the guy who developed Luka Doncic and that was very comfortable with him and just with players and stuff like that is a good-looking hire. I think they're. I mean, <sighs> who has made a bad look? Ma Udoka, I think, was a good one. I think that was like a like just something that made sense, something that should be good. And it's like, well, we'll see what happens at the point guard spot. They just had to move on Kimba because that backfired so badly. We don't really know how Brad Stevens will be as a president of basketball ops. But, like, I think I would bet more on Udoka succeeding in Boston than I would Mosley in D.C. Like, in uh, Orlando. Yeah, but that – right, but that has more to do with Boston. Right, and we Orlando. just don't talk about that, though, is my whole thing. It's like we dumb it down to just like, oh, he played as dude. Like, this all going to be great. And I'm like, well, like, we have to still look at the situation, and the situation is bad. And the situation doesn't really have an avenue of not being bad for a while. So, so, so there you go. So to answer your question about who do I want the Wizards to hire, <laughs> that it really kind of matters. I don't really. Do, that, I feel like we should follow our own advice yeah. there. You know, I, I really don't know. Um, well, I guess it just depends on Beal. Like, this is a good job if they still want Beal and Thomas Bryant comes back healthy and um, Rui Hachimura doesn't exist. Like, I think they're. There are avenues to success, but uh, I don't know. I guess it just depends on what Beal wants and where they go with Beal, right? It's a, it, yeah, I mean, it's a franchise that for you know its entire history and currently right now are kind of straddling two lines at once, mm-hmm. not a, not not fully committing to 
just going gung-ho with vets but not also not fully committing to a rebuild content to kind of eke out uh, eight seeds and all well, that and I, that, that comes from ownership more so than anything i mean honestly if it were up to me like i would have probably traded beal two years ago and oh, just wow. take my lumps but you know I, I i think that's a lot easier for me to say mm. than for someone who's actually in there and you know who needs the, that playoff revenue or wants to think of it that way? It's a matter mm. of goals. If it were me, though, yeah, I would have bitten the bullet. I would have, I would have traded Beal at the height of his value, which he may, I guess, he may still be at. But yeah, I would have gotten that like sort of huge haul that you know some of these like the Thunder are getting for their stars. Uh, I would have tried to do that and just really like start over and kind of thought about this the right way. Really thought about it in a committed way, gotten myself like an institutional head coach. I mean, I would have started over. I would have given, as a fan, I would have liked to have seen that. I I don't know if that applies in every situation, but like, I just, I'm tired. The Wizards haven't won 50 games since 1979. Like I, I'm tired of like oh, kind wow. of average, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's low key. The most, like it's a low key, the, the most, one of the saddest franchises out there. Um, but it's because they keep sort of short circuiting or shooting for the middle, and I, I'd rather I'd, I'd, I'll take a couple losing seasons at this point and just try to give myself a platform to build on that. But clearly, they're not interested in doing that. I wouldn't have traded for Russell Westbrook. I mean, there's so much I wouldn't have done, but a lot of it just comes down to a philosophical thing, like rather than a maximizing what you're. You're, I think they've done a pretty a decent job, at least, of like, okay, if this is what the path is, you're here's how we're going to try to maximize that. But I mean, it's it's just hard to evaluate what they're doing in that context because at the end of the day, I think it's time it's it was time to tear it all down, you know. And, and in fairness to them, to argue against myself, like the Wall John Wall's contract meant it was sort of that would be anchoring on to you whether he was on the team or not or whether you turned him into Russell Westbrook or not. So I can understand why that may be a slightly more challenging in practice, but I still would have done it. Um, at this point, though, I mean, I don't know. I didn't just just give me something a little bit less roller coastery than last year. Because last year was just, I, I, I was too much of. It's like uh, last year was like the ride on, um, the ride on Space Mountain that you weren't quite ready for, and Are it you seemed been to Space far. Mountain? I haven't been to Space Mountain. <laughs> I'm just trying to come up with like a roller coaster analogy. I'm not a roller coaster person. My girlfriend is a big like experienced person with that kind of stuff, and I'm just like I, I I've been on one roller coaster in my life, and it was a really really long time ago, and I'm I've had no not interest. interest. Not a roller coaster guy. Not with my sports teams, not with reality. No? So that that's good. How, does your significant other want to force you onto a roller coasters, or is that not a not a thing? Definitely not. Not with our two – I mean, we our two kids are both under three and a half, so I think we're kind of – it's going to be a long time before we're even in that position. How old do you have to be to get on a roller coaster? Now I'm curious. Like, I wonder – because I was pretty I young. Bet, I bet that my our daughter would probably like it. Well, actually, no, she wouldn't like it <laughs> because she doesn't like new things. She's a little finicky. I, my son, who is eight months, might like it, but he's also eight months. Prime age for roller coasters. Um, <laughs> uh, Lonzo Ball looks like he's going to be moving on elsewhere. Where do you think yeah. he fits most? Is there a team that makes makes the most sense for you? 
Yeah, New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think it seems to me like the like one obvious fit is somewhere like Chicago, particularly if they keep Levine and yeah. they keep Savich. And you know, you can slide him. They very clearly have a need. I think Kobe White really had a rough year uh, trying to adjust too much of his game to kind of be like a certain type of point guard instead of being himself. So it, that yeah, seems like a really awesome. Aaron Brooksy in it. Like he's in, he's Aaron Brooks. Like just, uh, just embrace that. Yeah. But I mean, it, I, definitely, but it's tough when like, you're kind of playing a lot with Levine and now you're playing with Vucevic. And yeah. you know, I, I think that I can understand why he maybe thought like he had to be someone else. So, it seems to me like ball is a really good fit next there. That would be my top choice. And I, I would imagine that they're going to try to get him. Interesting. My top is still the Clippers. I don't know if that would work, but I think he would make a lot of sense on the other Los Angeles team. I think he would actually fit. Make a lot of sense in a lot of places. He's a pretty good player. He's a pretty good player. Uh, the Hawks would not be one where I would say he's a fit. I would not say he's a fit. Okay, fair enough. I would not say he's a fit in Atlanta. Um, actually, any worse of a fit than um, playing Lou Williams and Trey Young together? Oh, so that's interesting. Well, it worked a little bit in this postseason. Like, it yeah, just... I mean, sometimes it does work. You know, so you're trying to diversify your offense. I'm just saying, like, right. he's a he's a decent fit everywhere. Like, I'm, obviously, if I'm the Hawks, I'm not saying I got to get Lonzo Ball to get to the next. Well, I think level, it's just but... more of the Chris Dunn contract kind of kind of limits limits that you, you're not paying Chris Dunn multi-year contracts along with Lonzo Ball. I think, uh, and they got a lot of people to pay, like Collins well, two-year is coming contracts, up. Yeah. Well, Lou is looking for a multi-year deal after. Well, this is it's going to be an interesting summer for the Hawks because of that. Uh, I know that's a topic you want to hit on. Um, we can but hit on yeah, now. like it's just they are faced with so many different things, and like I'm arguing with friends about this, and just it's interesting to see what the fan base is not ready for because they are like it, there's just going to be so many tough choices, and you're already seeing a lot of teams lining up for Collins and restricted free agency and. The Hawks are probably going to match because it would be a bad look, I think, not to match and do a sign-in trade. But I like you have Capella locked up. You have Anyeka Nkongwu, who looked amazing this postseason as a rookie. Like he's going to be a player. You have Cam coming on late. You have DeAndre Hunter coming back from injury. You have like in Hunter's a four, like in the best lineups, like he needs to be on the floor. And I don't think they'll get away with Collins and Capella, even with their Spain drag and roll. Like I don't think that is sustainable long-term and I just don't like the idea of paying two bigs that much money and you still have Kongwu well, coming down and you still have Herder to think about like Herder was more important than Collins's postseason like he really really bailed him out but do you really want to yeah. pay for a third guard and then it's like well you still like I, I you're gonna max out you Trey. To, like there's so yeah. many different things here that are going to be they're walking a tightrope and I I'm I'm very nervous I mean I don't think it's that complicated. You basically just have to separate separate out two things that I think are very easy to blend together because as a team, you kind of always need to think in these terms. But when you're sort of assessing the situation from afar, it's it's basically like, one, can these guys play together if money was not an object? And two, where do we prioritize the money, <laughs> right? I mean, you're basically, that's the thing. When you're talking about like kind of combining these these struggles, like is the issue really that Collins and Capella are not an effective duo? Like they can be, they're an effective duo. No, it's just that's a lot of money for those two when right. you really so need you, to maximize right. Hunter and everyone else around Trey. Yeah, so you got to separate those two things out. Like to, to me, it's very easy to bl- put bracket those two things together as like uh, because – 
they're not an efficient use of resources, they can't make it work. Um, they do have a lot of painful, interesting financial decisions coming up. And this is in some way the the uh, rules of the league working against them and working against young teams. But this is also, I think, going to be interesting to see because it's to some degree the cost of last summer's spending spree to vault yourself into this position. You know, nobody is saying now like, oh, what? Why did Travis Schlenk give Bogdan Bogdanovich four years, Danilo Gallinari three years, Rajon Rondo two years, Chris Dunn two years? Or like kind of basically just decide, okay, we got to win. We're going to use all our cap space at once, you know, last summer. Because it worked out and got them to where they got to needed to be. And you could argue that that was an effective way to do that. But the cost of doing that sort of thing is, is now all these sorts of different money issues you have coming up are magnified because you also have the veteran contracts that you signed on the books. Now, does that mean that the Hawks did the wrong thing last summer? I don't know, but it has to factor into the calculus that it was a bit of a get rich quick scheme that got them kind of rich, but is now going to leave them with some problems on the back end, you know, with their, their money. I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, it's not necessarily that like, Oh, you can't pay Collins and Capella. It's just, well, you can't pay Collins and Capella and Gallinari and Bogdanovich and all these people. You could theoretically pay Collins and Capella without those guys. But then on the flip side, those guys also helped you get to where you wanted to go. So it's a challenge, but you know, I, I do think that it's, Look, they, they committed to a strategy to kind of get really good quick. They got what they got out of it. I think it was really valuable. Call it the don't get fired approach. The don't, yeah, the don't get fired or, you know, the like kind of let's try to win. I, I think it would be interesting. Like I, if I'm a team, just as like a, a general model, and I wonder if like you're looking, New Orleans has not approached it this way, or at least they sort of tried to go in the middle. But you might want to think about this. Dallas is sort of a team that's kind of in this spot too. If you've got like a really good young core, like there is some logic in like, well, let's load up the books with like veterans then and try to win now before those guys get expensive. And then we can reset and we can always be winning. Right. Um, but while they're on their rookie contracts, but look, it's a hard balance to strike. Um, and it may cost them John Collins. I mean, you say they can't sign and trade him. Like, I mean, Maybe they need to, you know, maybe this is like uh, Joe Johnson with the Suns back in the day in Atlanta where uh, they make that sign and trade. Like you kind of are stuck making your team worse because of the timing of your extensions. Like maybe that's what they have to do. Capello, Kongu, like the, these are good problems to have, but they're still interesting problems. And I guess the long way of saying all this is that if you're assessing Atlanta's money situation going forward, you have to take a second look back at what they did last summer in order to assess that because they didn't have to do all that. But we you don't know? get this kind of run without them doing all of that. Well, maybe. I mean, do, do we, let's say we do we get this kind of run if uh, – I mean, you might not. But, like, could you – another way to put it is, like, could you have gotten this kind of run or something similar if you made two of those moves rather than all of them? Could you have gotten – would you have, or more to the point, like, would you have not gotten this run if Ben Simmons learned how to shoot the ball, didn't forget how to shoot the ball, and you got the draw working out the way you did, you know, and does how does that change your strategy? This was uh, one potential outcome of the runs uh, that you could have had. And, 
you know, I guess it's just it's just just as you can't say that like what they did last summer was a mistake. Clearly, I think it's wrong to also then say, well, clearly it worked. Look how far they got. You know, there are going to be there are going to be trade offs to that decision. You know, if they had been a little bit more patient, if they had not just an all of that cap space in one offseason with all of those players, they might be able to manage some of their financial challenges on the coming up on the horizon better. Well, it's going to be like the Falcons where they had to trade Julio for cap reasons. Like there's just going to be somebody that is going to be a fall guy that the fans love that they're like, wait, why are we moving this good rotation piece now? Like just, there's not enough money. Like that's just, they spent too much and there's just not, the resources were allocated incorrectly, and I think there are going to be sins of uh, what they did last uh, summer for a lot of these guys. And I, I, I am just so curious to see how Schlenk navigates all of this because I think it's uh, it's going to be tough. Um, I, I think you could justify trading. I think John Collins is worth his whatever contract he gets, and you could also justify saying, "Well, we probably should sign and trade him." But then you have that like piece in the Players Tribune that every Atlanta fan latched onto, and like the the heart and soul of this Hawks team being John Collins. Hey. Like it's just a it's a bad PR look to do that. Well, and the Hawks yeah, care about PR more than anything else right now. They do. Well, you know, blame the uh, if you didn't have a luxury tax, this wouldn't be a problem. You'd be rewarded for drafting a player like that. Yeah, all these sorts of moves that are supposed to target the big markets have instead affected these up-and-coming teams it's not great it's not great um speaking of not great circle of life (laughs) pin simmons uh two quick things i wanted to wrap up here today mike um ben simmons officially on the trade block uh was he ever unofficially on the trade block i mean i don't know i i I don't know what makes you say he's officially now just because there's a sean's report yeah i think i this is it and also because of what we saw in the postseason the way it ended like i just okay you see like the whole ben simmons is meant like the was it the bulls report where it was like they they were encouraged not to go near because he's just like mentally just out of it like after what happened where it's just like oh this feels like where for mental health reasons, he's on the trade block to move on because I don't know if he can handle another season in Philly, another postseason run like that. So I don't know. It, it would be shocking. Yeah, it's, to uh, it's, yeah I, I think it's there's clearly a lot of motivation to trade him. I mean, the the only the only way is that James Harden for him. Supposedly, according to the rumor, I, you know, you never know exactly what was an offer in that scenario what wasn't was houston really gonna take simmons um but yeah i mean i think clearly you know that was a possibility and that doesn't look good right now but um one of the the only reason he wouldn't be traded and i think he will be i think is twofold one is if the market's not there but it doesn't sound like that's gonna happen mm. like their old team's interested and it's just a matter of can we get the value and you know the Sixers are going to try to extract as much value as possible from this scenario. Um, that's what Daryl Moore does. The other sort of interesting challenge, though, is just not how much money Ben Simmons makes. Not from a, like, he's not worth that contract in a vacuum, which he really isn't. But that's it's more just, like, to match that salary in a trade. You're going to probably have to put in a pretty good player. And are teams willing to put in a pretty good player to get Ben Simmons? That's a good question. Like, the suitor list is sort of going to be challenging mechanically. Um, but I still think he's probably going somewhere else. You know, one of the other interesting questions I think 
meta questions to this is also, is he going to go somewhere that he wants or somewhere that the Sixers want to send him? Because I think even he at this point is sort of wants, they both want to change the scenery. I don't think this is entirely 76ers driven. I think this is also Simmons driven. So is he going to go to a place, are the Sixers going to try to accommodate him in some way or are they going to just send him wherever? And how does he react to that? Good questions, I think. And he's got four years left in his contract. So theoretically, he doesn't have a lot of choice in the matter, but it may affect his trade value for sure. For sure. I don't know what happens with him. I, I don't know. I, I, I hope for the best because when he – I would just be so terrified to move somebody like him because the upside still being top three player in basketball if he has an average shot and is taking that and then versus just like a Draymond type is just – it's very – very terrifying to move a player like that with just the that just sitting there in the corner where you're like oh this if that ever happens this is gonna look really bad um yeah you can't live in fear you can't live in fear no um last thing and we'll wrap up here mike the warriors the title odds for next season were released and the warriors found themselves in the top three um <laughs> really yes <laughs> i raised an eyebrow and I, I can tell. You, you know what that both... is? Mm-hmm. That that's we that's uh we got a lot of Warriors fans that bet money on things and we want to get them in. All right, leave Andy Lou and Sam Espendiaria. <laughs> you know, that's like a please bet on us stuff sort of thing. Um because yeah, I mean certainly as currently constructed that there's no way. There's no path. Like I'm thinking about that, I'm just like who like Wiseman's not bringing back anything like i don't i don't know who the person is because i think clay just coming back like it's still just not enough like that's just not enough firepower what does wiseman plus your two first round picks get you i mean i think it's possible it brings someone back particularly if someone wants to go there uh like who though who's available who fits that mold I, for that i don't know it's um, not beal like you're not taking that package for beal well maybe it's ben simmons <laughs> you know i mean it Maybe it's Lillard. I, I don't know, but like I think but you um, don't hire Chauncey and do that whole thing if you're not like planning on keeping like Lillard. I don't. Let's I don't, see if that works out. You don't hire Stephen Silas if you plan on keeping James Harden. Oops. Oh, that is true. You know, sometimes it doesn't really matter, but um, you know, I mean, it's clearly that the that's a ridiculous notion. I mean, there might be a player out there. Uh, and I wouldn't dismiss the value of that as a package against someone. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I mean, some of the things that we do this a lot though, where we're like, Oh, who's out there? Like what, who could possibly trade for them? But like, the truth is like, theoretically every player is out there for the right price, True. you know? So just because you've heard about someone doesn't necessarily mean that like, they're the only options, you know, I love buddy you know? Heald to be the dark horse there where they just really go for it without threes. Like just, I want to healed Curry thompson draymond uh lineup i want to see what that does i want to see the score it wins lineup. 45 games they would what They'd win 45 games oh. that's what that lineup is. all right mike all right i'm just trying to think they should just go all out in the the threes and i mean it's it's tough to say because we don't know what clay's gonna look like mm-hmm. um but they did just like if Steph's playing at the level he played at this year, and they can figure out a little bit of a better role for Draymond while still developing Wiseman or trading him, like frankly, I think it's becoming clear that given the goals of the franchise, they should have not picked Wiseman. Correct. But 
because of necessarily his own ability, but because you can't have Wiseman and Draymond playing together despite their mentorship roles. Like that's just Draymond is now a five exclusively basically. And that, that has all sorts of problems, you know, and you probably should have taken LaMelo ball, but you know, some of this is hindsight. Some of this is stuff you could have seen. I don't know. I feel like that's not a hindsight one. We were all like, "Mm, I don't know about this. I don't, I don't think uh, that's a hindsight one. I think uh, Wiseman was worse than I thought he would be this rookie year. Well, just the big, and like you said, Draymond just being a five. Like I just didn't think that Maximize also think just didn't fit their pick. timeline. Like by the time Wiseman's good, Curry's no longer scorched earth nuclear MVP type anymore. Like right, but just... theoretically, Lamelo Ball had that same problem. So mm, I, guess. I know, like theoretically, they're the same age. Like it's entirely possible that you know picking any rookie wouldn't have fit their timeline. Yeah. You know, so but they didn't have to do that. They could have moved it. Like they didn't have to. They didn't have Still to do could, that. You know. They still could. Um, but I think we are in agreement that that seems a little like a bit of a stretch. I mean, in general, the title race next year is going to be really interesting. I think next year is the last non-weird year. I think Brooklyn's number one odds again. But, like, I think this year, um, and this is what Hawks fans got to understand, is that, like, this, the Hawks doing what they did and the uh, Heat doing what they did last year is a product of the shortened seasons and the bubbles and injuries and stuff like that. Like, that's just not how the NBA has ever worked. Um, okay, why don't you go tell Hawks fan that? <laughs> I do, and I get yelled sure. at. I, they get yeah, upset sure, about it. I'm sure they, they they appreciate pissing you pissing in their punch bowl. I'm um, a Hawks yeah, fan. You're not so, wrong. I'm just saying. Like it's just one of those where I'm a Hawks fan, and I was just like, well, like it, it's not real. Like this is this is not real. Did you, and did you have fun during it. I what? Did you have fun during the run? I did have fun. Yes. Yeah, isn't that what sports is about ultimately? Yeah, I mean, I had fun, but I was also just like the people, like I had friends who were like, we're going to the finals. I'm like, eh, probably not. And they're like, ah, like, eh, like you, don't do this to yourself. Like, it just... They were, they were two games away. It wasn't that far off. It wasn't, but they're still not winning. A t- like, that's ha- never happened. A non-All-Star team, like, winning an NBA championship. Like, it's just not, not a thing that happens in the NBA. Like, there were zero All-Stars in this roster this year. Yeah, well... Every rule, the only one team can win the title. That's sort of part of the, the thing. And you know, if there's one thing to keep in mind, have you ever heard of the? Uh, I think they call it the paradox of expertise. It's like a psychological mm-hmm. phenomenon. The people who are often worst at predicting the future are the ones who are the best experts on the past, because all they can think about is through the lens of what they are, what has already happened, as like it has to repeat in the same way. And the future is frankly just unknowable. You know, so sometimes, sometimes like the exception ends up proving the rule after the fact. So don't, don't, I, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, like I, I would bet it gets them doing better than this in the future, but it's not entirely impossible. It's like the Braves. The Braves had their shot and they were like, oh, we're good. We're, we're going to run it back. We're going to actually spend a little bit less. We were one game away from uh, going to the World Series last year. And it's like, no, uh, probably not. And now Acuna's gone. And now the bullpen's bad. And everyone got hurt. And everything went south very quickly. And they're probably going to be the deadline. Let's see what happens next year. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a long season. And next year is going to be another long season. And we got a long way to go before we even get to that point. And I don't want to think about my life in that way. Where it's like, all right, let's yeah. move on to next year. Yeah, I, I hear you. But it's also what you're doing with the Hawks, is it not? No. I, I, Come on, guys. Move on to next year. Like, you know, let's not be excited. 
I'm not saying don't be excited, but like they have to do a lot more to stay in that top top level. Like you have to move those yeah, guys. I mean, like you have to go big fish hunting. I think you have to be like you have to operate not like a sense of hey we're here now let's just pay all of our guys and keep running it back and we're just going to be in the top four top two of the eastern conference for the next couple years like i don't think that's reality so i guess that's my thing it's like i think they have to be very nervous and they have to operate from a sense of like urgency in that like hey mm-hmm. we have this trace superstars like the upside's here but like we cannot just hope that we're gonna run it back and the rest of the east is gonna be fine like if Bro- philadelphia gets uh, the right package for Ben or Milwaukee add some other pieces around Giannis or, you know, the heat add, they're just sitting there with Jimmy and everybody like after a full uh, postseason yeah. rest, like they're sitting there in Brooklyn. If they're healthy are winning the East, like if those three are healthy, they're winning the East. So then you're like, okay, how do we do this? Well, you have to go big game hunting. You have to call the Wizards about Bill. You have to, you have to see if you compare Trey with another top 10, top five offensive player. And then you're really cooking. Then I believe a lot more and the sustainability yeah. at the top. Here's the problem. Mm-hmm. Top 10 are only, there are only 10 top 10 players. I know. <laughs> so how do you know if their strategy was the right one? If they don't get a top 10 player, is it because that they tried and failed or because they didn't try hard enough? Well, I'll have to text Travis about it and be like, how hard did you yeah. try? Yeah, but he, he will say, well, he tried really hard and you'll be <laughs> like, no, I don't know. I, I, you can't quantify how hard he tried. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm true. being difficult, but you know what I'm saying. Like, no, I do. But I'm saying and that's then the then reality. the question is like, yeah. can you is a burden is a burden hand worth more than two in the bush? If you can't, if you try too hard to get the top ten player uh, when it's not realistic, you saw but this happen to my wizard. Paul George, then it's all for nothing. Like we're all good, right? But say it's funny. Like this, this was um, when the Wizards made the second round in 2015. Mm-hmm. The next year, they were saving their cap space for Durant. And I remember being very pro that strategy, using similar logic that you were using. Like, hey, you know, this is a nice team that we got here, but it's not going to be enough. Like, if you even have like a two percent chance of getting Kevin Durant, you got to maximize the opportunity. That's really the only chance you're going to be any good. And the the whole next season was completely joyless. They let key contributors go off that team, and they, you know, they had one run that was about as good, but they've never really gotten back to that level, you know. And you've missed chances to kind of get a little bit better, trying to always get a lot better, and it can backfire on you. And I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like they had bad intel, and just Durant was never going to go there. It was more like a zero percent chance than a two percent chance, but. Still, you know, sometimes you can lose sight of building on what you had by trying to go big game hunting. And sometimes you settle for what you have when you should be big game hunting. It's hard to know. Uh, and sometimes the difference between those two is affected by things that have that are kind of pure chance or have very little to do with, you know, that are because your Ronald Acuna gets injured. Yeah. You couldn't necessarily predict that, right? No, I, I would not have predicted predicted oh. that. And it's, it's very so sad. I would stay in the moment, enjoy what happened, recognize that it may not happen again, and think about that wistfully rather than, um, you know, thinking too far ahead. <laughs> stay in the moment. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Mike, what can we check out from you across Mike's pictures, the book that will be coming out next spring? What would you like to play as we wrap up here today? 
I, I guess the book I'm writing a book about the tactical evolution of the modern MBA, which I define as kind of the last five to 10 years, really. Um, how do we get here to this point where everybody shoots a zillion threes and certain it's such a perimeter oriented game and how do we better understand where it's going uh, and what constitutes success and all the downstream effects of, Hey, we're going to shoot a lot of threes now. Like we probably always should have done. So, uh, it's still about halfway done with that. It's going to be out next spring. So I still got a ways to go. That's, that's a bit of a delayed gratification. I know for people who are looking to plug something, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, subscribe to your, your newsletter, praise pictures on Substack. Uh, it's very good. You learn a lot. So go do that. Um, Mike, thank you so much for making making the time. This is a long time coming. Uh, so I've been reading you for years, so I appreciate uh, you making the time. Uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Thanks for having me, Chase. Thanks for your support. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.